Bill Belichick on his way out of New England? Stealing tradition might be done? Playing games in Brazil and beyond? Officiating is a work in progress? Oh, and a Week 15 slate with plenty of playoff implications to look forward to in the NFL? Giannis losing it over a game ball? The Spurs approaching 20 straight losses? Draymond's at it again, but this time it's a lot more serious than we could ever imagine. Another coach fired in the NHL, the Washington Capitals moving to Northern Virginia, and the aftermath of Shohei Otani's deal where $680 million is deferred, and now there's an opt-out? All those questions will be answered, so get ready for an hour of unapologetic and entertaining sports talk. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Reading. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The middle of the month is here as we prepare to trim the tree, shop for last minute gifts, and plan out the guest list for Christmas dinner. And while you're doing that, yours truly is here to share my thoughts on all that's going on in our favorite section of the department store of life. You know what time it is as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to unpack here over the course of the next hour. Hopefully, I keep it right there at the 59-minute and 59-second mark because the NFL has had an eventful week. Quite a bit of newsworthy items to get into, and I'll start off with what's happening in New England as that's been a big story, but quite honestly, wake me up on Black Monday. Because all you're going to hear between now and then is the speculation of whether or not the longtime coach of the New England Patriots is going to be ousted at year's end. And like I said, when we get to that second Monday, because the first Monday will be the first of the year, 2024, which is what, two and a half weeks away. But the week after that, where we could start to speculate maybe even it'll be official to where Bill Belichick is out of New England I know a report came out in the last couple of days to where that trip to Germany when the Colts played the Patriots that's when Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft may have been brought to the forefront as to maybe this could be it 
for the dynamic duo, more so obviously the coach as opposed to the owner Robert Kraft, but maybe it's time, maybe it's run its course. And without having the big-time quarterback, as we've seen here over the last couple of years, and yes, they did make it to the playoffs in the first year without Tom Brady, but if you don't have the quarterback, the success of Bill Belichick, I don't care if you bring back Vince Lombardi, is going to be unlikely to have any type of regular season success, and therefore to translate that into the postseason. So now, Belichick was brought up yesterday by the New England media, as far as these reports, and maybe... This could be it as far as the final few weeks as we now approach week 15 of the NFL. And you know what he's going to say. I'm on to Kansas City. He is going to be as tight-lipped as ever, especially when it comes to this. And we understand that the New England media, they're going to try to ask him this 7,000 different ways. But you already know what the answer is going to be. And I get it. They're trying to see if they could poke him or maybe get a little bit of a weak spot to where they could get something But we know Belichick, he is not even vanilla. They have to come up with a different flavor for him when it comes to a person who is not going to reveal anything or be so close to the vest. And pretty much with Belichick, as we've seen here for now two and a half decades, if he's going to give you anything, that would be a story. And as we all know, it's just going to be on to the next team or it's just going to be we didn't play well. And they could ask him, a million different ways from here to Sunday. And he's just going to have the same generic, boring answer. And it's going to be just a futile exercise for the media to try to dig their heels or to try to get something out of him. And all I'm going to say is this. This could be it. I don't know. Obviously, I don't have any intel or certainly have a source to where I could possibly think that this could be it. But knowing that this is going to be, in all likelihood... At best, a 4-13 and year. They'll probably win one more game down the stretch. And off the top of my head, they do have the Jets. And who knows, that's probably going to be a win. And maybe their only win here. Because they do have to play Buffalo. New England plays Kansas City, which was flexed out of the Monday night game. Now it's a 1 o'clock game this Sunday. And the fourth game out of this final stretch, off the top of my head, I don't know. I haven't checked the schedule. But you would think he's going to win one more game. And even with the Jets on the schedule, in all likelihood, it could be that game. And then we'll see what's going to happen. I'm not going to get into where he could go next, where he could team up with a quarterback. I know the rumor will probably be L.A. with the Chargers because of Justin Herbert, but we know the Spanos family who owns the team, they're cheapskates. They're not going to break the bank, which they could have done last year to bring in Sean Payton to work with Justin Herbert. And we saw what the Chargers did by not going in the direction of firing Brandon Staley after having a 27-0 lead against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the postseason last year spitting it up and then losing. So they decided to keep him, not bring in Peyton. And now they're going to have a lost season where Herbert is done as he got injury or he got the surgery, I should say, on the right index finger of his throwing arm. And the Chargers are going to be out to sea this year. And you would think the coach is going to go along with them. So I don't want to hear any of these rumors about Belichick. One more time, come Black Monday when we discuss it. And who knows, maybe Robert Kraft will just delay the inevitable. It won't be a situation where after the game on Sunday, whether they beat the Jets 40 to nothing or 3 to 2, where he's just going to all of a sudden let go of Bill Belichick. I'm sure they're probably going to let it process, let it wait a couple of days, let the Black Monday for some of the coaches, I would think, i.e. Brandon Staley, will be one of them. And then we'll see throughout the course of that week 
whether or not Belichick is still going to be in the fold in New England, but in all likelihood, it looks like these are the last days of him being the coach of a team that he won six Super Bowls with. And that's all I'll say about Belichick from now until we get to at the end of the season. The second thing I want to get to, and this was a little bit surprising, and it was also refreshing. And me being a diehard Steeler fan, and I know I didn't get into the whole Steeler-Patriot game from last Thursday, how just awful they were in that first half, and not having Kenny Pickett, not to say Kenny Pickett is Ben Roethlisberger, and I'm going to get to Big Ben in a second, but for... The Steelers to lose that game, back-to-back games, at home to two win teams that they both lost. And they, thankfully, the Bengals did them a favor by putting them back in the playoff mix with their win on Sunday against the Colts. And we get it that the Steelers have an enormous game against the Colts, which to me is going to be a loser-leaves-town match. And I'll get into the schedule in a little bit. But for... The Steelers and how they performed here over the last couple of weeks with this big game forthcoming, Ben Roethlisberger had some comments for his former team saying that the Steelers tradition might be done. Now, I think that's a little bit of an overstatement. I understand that once he left and you look at this team now, the heart and soul of this team is Cam Hayward and TJ Watt, guys on the defense. Of course, Cam Hayward's been with the team now a dozen years. TJ Watt for now seven years. And the rest of the guys, either they're young and you would hope that they'll be a part of the fabric of this team for years to come, i.e. Joey Porter Jr. And guys that are just stopgap guys, the Landon Roberts, the Patrick Petersons, guys like that. And then on offense, who knows with the quarterback, he had his ankle surgery, what was it, about eight, nine, ten days ago to the point where he's not going to play this week against the Colts. Who knows when he's going to return to the lineup and it may be too little, too late by the time he's healthy and whether or not the Steeler playoff chances are going to be on life support or worse, they could be out of it or maybe they'll still be hanging around as you get to week 16, 17, and 18. But the offense has really no identity despite the fact that they do have skilled position players as I've talked about time after time. Whether your name is George Pickens, whether your name is Najee Harris, who could be that guy to carry on the tradition, but he's only in his third year, still young, and hasn't been highly productive. You could thank an offensive line that has been average at best, and that's saying it nicely. And then guys like Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryer moved to tight end, and Pickett is a question mark as to whether or not he's going to be the answer for this team, not only in the present, but also in the future. So although there may be a little bit of truth there, but you still have a couple of guys in the mainstays that will carry this tradition, at least right now. But of course, they have to continue to build this team in order for them to get anywhere close to what they were, especially over the last 15 years or so, maybe even 20 years, because you got to think, Super Bowl 40 is 18 years ago. And their last Super Bowl win will be 15 years ago this coming February. So... You have to put that in perspective when you're thinking about Steeler tradition, about who's on the team now, and who's able to carry that torch for this organization to know that they're still part of the Steeler family, guys that have been on this team for quite some time. Now, mind you, they haven't won anything. It's not as if Cam Hayward or TJ Watt have played in conference championship games. Yes, you could say that for Hayward when they played the Patriots in 2016, T.J. Watt came the following year, so he has not been a part of a conference championship. But when we look at the tradition on a whole, it's looking pretty slim. But I can't just say that it's done. And I understand he said it might be done. 
But I don't think so just yet. But unless they turn this around, and it's going to start with the quarterback because Pickett, is he the guy that's going to carry the mail for this organization down the road? And I even mentioned that if he was half of Ben Roethlisberger, I would take it. And right now, it's still incomplete on whether or not he's that type of guy. And then, the refreshing part was Roethlisberger and his comments regarding the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. Where he discussed that Patriot game, how there was some bad coaching there. And there was, because they had those two timeouts that they burned there in the second half of that game, which were inexcusable. Especially the one that they had to burn the second timeout. And I didn't really get into it last week. The game was on Thursday night. And even though I talk about Steeler games and review them and so on and so forth. But with that being said, it was interesting to see Ben put his coach on the griddle. Because a lot of these players that get into the podcasting realm and have, whether it's their former coaches, and I believe Tomlin had been on with Roethlisberger, if I'm not mistaken. I know Bill Cower has been on with Roethlisberger on his podcast, Footballing with Big Ben. And for him to call him out, that was a surprise because as we all know, players are not going to call out former coaches, even current coaches on other teams or players. It's very rare and seldom that they're going to do that because it's almost upsetting the apple cart. It's almost a thing where I'm not going to say it's an unwritten rule, but for to a certain extent, players aren't going to go after other players. And even if they are low-hanging fruit, if you want to talk about a player that's always in trouble or a player that always never seems to deliver or anything like that, when we take a look at maybe other players and other sports, let's say pick on James Harden. To me, that's low hanging fruit. It's not a situation where if you're going to criticize him, anybody's going to do that. But let the player criticize a player of ilk. Let's say if Ben went after Patrick Mahomes and what happened there on Sunday, that would be a scenario where, wow, Big Ben took a shot at Mahomes for let's say, and he did, and I'm just speculating this, of course. But it was good for Roethlisberger, my whole point being that it was good for Roethlisberger to go ahead and call out his former coach to say they need to be a little bit more wiser with their timeouts and try to win these games against these bad teams. So I can't kill him for that. And how I look at it is, is that I wish other players who are getting into this foray of podcasting would do the same. Because it's not about patting your buddies on the back or giving them a pass. It's about speaking your mind and speaking the truth. Having some credibility behind that microphone to get your point across and not just say, oh, well, you had a bad day at the office. Or, oh, well, you know, Tomlin does have two visits to a Super Bowl and he did win one, so he's not going to have great days. No, bad coaching. Why not? So kudos to Ben on that. I had to throw that in there to tie that in with the Steel tradition. As far as the NFL playing these games overseas, now they're going to have a game on the schedule with Brazil next year, and then maybe even Spain or other international cities in 2025 and beyond. Why they're doing this, we understand they want to try to expand the brand globally, etc., similar to what the NBA's done, and even to a certain extent Major League Baseball. But here's the problem. The NFL, as much as they want to branch out and be similar to the other leagues that I mentioned, the thing about football is that unlike baseball, where we know in the Caribbean 
and especially in Asia, it's king. We know in basketball, and we've seen this, whether it has been in China, whether it has been in Eastern Europe, whether it has been in Africa, whether it has been in South America, we know that the NBA, other than soccer, of course, rules the globe when it comes to the four major sports and having players in various pockets throughout the planet to where the game has gone global. And thank David Stern, may he rest in peace, for doing that. But the NFL doesn't have roots in any of these places. And I get it. You're going to have a smattering of players that have played overseas or are from other countries internationally. But it does not resonate the way it does basketball. And the one thing about basketball, similar to soccer and maybe baseball to a certain degree, is that it's a game where all you need is a ball and a hoop when it comes to basketball. Same for soccer. You need a ball and a goal. Maybe you don't have a net, but you have you use whatever it is. Maybe a basketball court with the stanchion with the two poles that are holding up the basket itself to where you use that as a goal. NFL football or American football doesn't have that same panache. It doesn't have the same feel to where, all right, let's get a football and let's try to get a 5-on-5, five 7-on-7. Five, seven seven. A lot of these youth or these countries, they're not looking at football as a scenario where I want to be an NFL player. Where maybe a lot of people say, I want to be a professional soccer player or an NBA player. Or in the aforementioned places when it comes to baseball. Where, hey, if you just have somebody pitching to you and you get able to hit the ball and you have one kid fielding and then maybe you get a swarm of kids to play, different story. But NFL, and especially with the rules, and it's a very complicated game to pick up. It just doesn't resonate with a lot of the world. And yes, we understand the Super Bowl is huge and maybe there are certain parts of the world that will tune in and watch just to see what's happening because it is such a spectacle. But not to say that this can't work or it's unsuccessful, but I think it's a reach. And I'm not going to say it's a waste of time because the NFL and their business, they know a lot more than I do. But for Roger Goodell, and here's a quote, Becoming a global sport is a major strategic priority for the league and 32 teams. Increasing international game inventory allows us to grow our global presence and share our game with exciting new markets to connect with more fans around the world. But the thing is, even in London, a lot of those fans that go to those games are Americans. That whether they're fans from Jacksonville or the other team, or they make a weekend out of it for those who fly across the pond to go to London or to Germany to watch these games... You may have a few locals that are going to the games, but it's not as if that in Frankfurt or Munich or London that there's going to be throngs of people that are going to go see an NFL game because they're invested in these teams. Maybe the few for Jacksonville because they played a lot of home games there over the years, but it doesn't have, again, that same feel. And I understand they're trying to manufacture this as best as they possibly can and is it a futile attempt? No, it's an attempt for them to expand and I get it. But to me, and from what I've seen and read and heard, good luck because the NFL is a different beast as we all know. The shield, impenetrable, etc. But for them to try to go to all these different cities and markets as a fan, it's a waste. It is a waste. I understand they know better than I do. They certainly do. Just keep the game more here at home 
And yeah, you want to expand to certain areas. Let's say you want to go to Mexico or of course London is already a staple here. That's fine. But I don't know about these other places. I really don't. And I can say the same for Major League Baseball going to London because baseball is a game that I would think as much as I've watched and followed sports over the years, there's not really a love for baseball in the UK. And we've seen this with these series over the years, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, and you're going to have Mets, Phillies next year. So to me, it's the same there. When baseball has opened up seasons in Japan or Korea, that I can understand. Or let's say if they opened up a series in the Dominican Republic or we've seen games in Puerto Rico, totally understood. But for the NFL to do this to me, again, it's just a reach. But who am I to say? I'm just a podcast host just sharing my thoughts and opinions on it. And I would think there's maybe not a majority, but I would think it's probably split as far as people feeling the same way I do when it comes to these games overseas. And we don't want to watch these games at 9.30 in the morning. And uh, it's just too much. But let me just move on from there. Before I get to the schedule, a couple of other things. The owners meeting that's taking place in Dallas or outside of Dallas in Irving, Texas. I know in light of everything that's happened here in Kansas City Sunday with the lateral and of course Kadarius Tony stepping off sides or was in a neutral zone. And when you have a scenario where that just was a firestorm between Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the histrionics on the field with Mahomes and Josh Allen, and then even in the post game, and although they apologized and their tempers had cooled off, but to me, that was just inexplicable for those guys, especially Mahomes, to act in that regard. And they've gotten calls after call after call after call over the years. And with the owners meeting, how the NFL, in particular, Roger Goodell, and of course, Troy Vincent, who's the VP of Football Ops, saying that the officiating, although they're always looking to make it better, and we understand that it's tough to officiate these games, these guys are human, but they are constant work in progress, and we can say that about all of us as long as we're alive and breathing, but there's no way that they're going to apologize, or they're going to have their tail between their legs with some of the officiating here, whether it's this year when it comes to pass interference calls or roughing the passers or lining up in the neutral zone to where the linesmen and officials will come out to say and warn the receivers or tight ends, etc., to say, hey, your foot is on the line. If you don't back up, we're going to call this. And because they didn't get a warning, that was one of the shots that Patrick Mahomes had fired saying that, hey, we usually get warnings. Why didn't they call it at that critical point of the game where they scored a touchdown, but it had to be brought back, as we know. So the officiating is going to be what it's going to be. There's going to be misholding calls. There's going to be mispass interference calls. There's going to be misruffing the passers, or there's going to be egregious non-roughing the passer calls, whatever it may be. Sadly, this is the sport where you're just going to have to hold your breath and it doesn't impact the game the way it should, a la the NFC Championship game, Saints-Rams, where you had that call, which went against the Saints, and it should have been for the Saints, where they probably would have gone to the Super Bowl, and we know how that unfolded from that point on. So that's all we could say about the officials. They are going to continue to do their best, but you just only hope for the best that it doesn't come down to crunch time in a big spot, crucial game, to where the officials have their fingerprints all over a bad call or a non-call on that front. And then the Super Bowl for 61, and they announced this now, where Super Bowl 58 
is going to be in Las Vegas, as we know. Well, SoFi is going to have the game again where they had it two years ago, Rams and Bengals. So your rotation is Las Vegas, followed by New Orleans next year, Santa Clara the following year for Super Bowl 60. And I guess they brought it there because Super Bowl 50 was in Santa Clara. So maybe that was their reasoning. The 10th anniversary of them hosting the game considering that the Super Bowl 50 was Broncos and Panthers. Maybe that was their thought process. To me, I didn't like the game in Santa Clara, but it's a newer stadium, although it's not one of the more nicer stadiums from what I've heard. And then SoFi will get that. What happened to Miami? Now, I understand they played Super Bowl 54 there, Niners and Chiefs, but are they out of the rotation? And I get it that that stadium's been refurbished and it may not be a palace a la AT&T Stadium or SoFi, but... Have they been lost in the shuffle here when it comes to Super Bowls? So that's what we got with the news, and that's a lot to unpack there. As far as the schedule, here are the games that are going to have tons of implications. And no, it does not start tonight between the Chargers and Raiders. Your quarterback matchup, and you know Al Michaels is sick to his stomach, and poor Al Michaels, he's not even going to have a chance to broadcast a playoff game as NBC said, uh-uh, I know Peacock's going to have the game and I guess that they were probably going to give him that game to start. Instead, it's going to be Noah Eagle, the son of Ein Eagle, who will have the opportunity to do the play-by-play. But you're going to have Easton Stick. Yes, that's his name. Easton Stick going up against Aiden O'Connell. Stick is the backup quarterback for the Chargers and O'Connell, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, is your backup QB of the Las Vegas Raiders. So good luck on watching that game tonight. But you have three big games as the Saturday schedule now comes into focus with the college football season done. And we understand the bowl season will begin this coming weekend. But for the three games that you have all on NFL Network, of course, you have many mouths to feed here. So you have a lot better Saturday slate than Sunday where you have Minnesota at Cincinnati, two teams that are fighting for The playoffs, Cincinnati on the outside looking in and Minnesota right there on the fringe is your 1 o'clock game. 4.30, as I mentioned earlier, loser leaves town match between Pittsburgh and Indianapolis. No Kenny Pickett, Mitchell Trubisky, so Steeler fans hold your breath. And then the night game is Denver at Detroit where the Broncos, 7-6 after a 1-5 start, go to Detroit and hand race high in the air. I said that the Lions beat the Bears on Sunday and I don't know if dyslexia kicked in or whatever, but... The Bears beat the Lions. That was a bad loss by the Lions for sure as they're now 9-4. And And although they should be in good shape to win a division, remember they still have the Vikings two of the last three games of the season. So that's where the division is going to come down to, especially if it's chalk after this weekend. If Minnesota does beat Cincinnati and Detroit beats the Broncos, then you're going to have a scenario where that game next week is going to be huge. And probably could be for a division, although they're going to have to play two weeks later in the season finale. But Denver-Detroit, another game with big-time playoff implications as Denver is also a team 7-6 and six with six other teams at the same record to go along with Pittsburgh and Indianapolis and Buffalo and Cincinnati and obviously Denver. So you have a logjam there in the middle toward the bottom rung of the AFC playoff picture. And then Sunday, I'll go as follows. I know the matchups aren't great, but they are going to be just a plenty when it comes to teams that are going to be vying for playoff positioning or maybe even move up in the standings. So you have Chicago going to Cleveland. And I get it. People are thinking that Chicago has turned their season around. 
even at 5-8, and eight, but they're not part of this in the hunt mix, which is garbage. But you have the Browns, who got a big win last week against Jacksonville. Let's see if they can continue their winning ways at home, as they're right now 5th in the AFC at 8-5. and five. Tampa going to Green Bay, which is a huge game. Green Bay had an awful game on Monday night, where they took the lead late. They didn't get a two-point conversion at 22-21. And Tommy DeVito, who's become a rock star here in the tri-state area, considering he's from Jersey, and he's actually played pretty well here over the last couple of weeks, and all these stupid nicknames, which I'm not going to get into. But the Packers lost an awful game there on Monday night, where Tampa had a big win in Atlanta. And Tampa right now is in first place, tied with the Saints as well as the Falcons for the NFC South lead, but they have the tiebreaker over the other two. So it's a big game for Tampa to stay in first place and Green Bay to get themselves back into the playoff mix in the NFC. Houston going to Tennessee. Tennessee had a huge win on Monday night against Miami, and I'm going to get to the Dolphins in a little bit. But for the Texans, who had a bad loss against the Jets, they got to get back on the beam with another road game. C.J. Stroud, who knows... What his status is going to be for this game as he's in concussion protocol. So the Texans are floundering a little bit to see whether or not they can hang in this AFC playoff mix, especially without their rookie quarterback. Kansas City, New England. What can I talk about there as the Chiefs, who have hit the skids here with two losses in a row, eight and five, currently, what are they, fourth? Actually third in the AFC because they have the tiebreaker over Jacksonville. But for them... It looks like they're not going to be a part of a one seed, but that's a game that they have to win, and I would think that they'll do so against New England and get themselves back in the win column. The Giants go to New Orleans. As I mentioned, New Orleans in a fight in the NFC South with the Falcons and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as far as the Falcons are concerned, they're in Carolina to play the Panthers, who only have one win this year. The Jets go to Miami, and I get it. Even after that win the other day and praising Zach Wilson, too little, too late. They have to get to 500 for me in order for them to even talk about them being a part of the playoff mix, and there's still three games below that. So even though a lot of people would want to see Aaron Rodgers maybe come back against the Commanders there on Christmas Eve, but they'll have to win this game first if there's any opportunity for Rodgers to go under center there, and I think that would be a bad move if that's the case. But they go to Miami, and we know Miami beat them on that Black Friday game. And the Dolphins, if the Packer loss on Monday night was awful, this one was just absolutely inexcusable and abominable. You cannot have a 14-point lead with three minutes to go against a team that has been out to sea since probably week nine. And they're at four and eight with a rookie quarterback, and they gave them two gifts, a muffed punt, deep in Titan territory to where they converted that into a touchdown and then a lateral to Derrick Henry which went off his shoulder they got two gift turnovers to put a 13-13 tie to 27-13 and you figured that the Dolphins were going to be smooth sailing from that point on and what happened? They lose the game and give it up for Mike Vrabel who has nothing to lose at this point they go down the field they score a touchdown At 27-19, and you've seen this a lot here with coaches, they figure, hey, let's go for two here because if we do get it, we'll cut the lead from eight to six, and then if we do get the ball back to score a touchdown, all we have to do is then kick an extra point to take the lead, and even if they miss the two-point conversion, 
They still have to make it up at some point. So therefore, 27-19, if they score a touchdown and get a two-point conversion, they tie the game. Well, in this case, they got the two-point. They got the lead cut from 27-13, to 6 And then they got the touchdown with the extra point. And then Tua couldn't do anything on his final drive. So where the Dolphins, I'd be concerned about them as they go into not necessarily a tough stretch because they have the Jets, but they have Dallas coming into their building. And then they go to Baltimore before Buffalo comes down to Miami to close out the season. So this is a huge game for the Dolphins to win because if they lose this game with the Cowboys coming in and the Cowboys are going to go to Buffalo this Sunday, which is going to be huge, and I'll segue to that. Dallas has played well. They have been great at home. They have a stout offense. But these next two weeks, they're going to have to show and prove to me. And no, not lose a 28-23 game similar to what they did in Philadelphia about a month or five weeks ago. They're going to have to play not only as good as football as we've seen them play at home, but they got to win these games. And Buffalo, they're desperate. They're currently 11th in the conference. And although they're close to sneaking in to the playoff mix, but with that win in Kansas City, maybe that'll jumpstart them. And that's going to be a hostile environment. Bills Mafia is going to represent... Who knows what the weather's going to be like. I'm sure it's going to be cold. Who knows if there's going to be some snowflakes, which will really bring a lot of attraction to that game. But the Cowboys, now these next two weeks is in front of them. They have to show and prove to me that they are one of the elite teams in the sport. They've shown that at home. They haven't shown it on the road. And it starts Sunday in Buffalo. San Francisco at Arizona, just to keep pace with the one seed in the NFC as they currently have now. The... Commanders go to LA to play, play the Rams and the Rams lost a bad game against Baltimore but they're one of those fringe teams in the NFC as well. Baltimore Jacksonville is your Sunday night game which Baltimore has the one seed with the Miami loss there on Monday night and then you have Philly and Seattle where Seattle's hanging by a thread in the NFC and Philly almost the same because if Dallas does win in Buffalo they're going to have to win that game because after that they have the Giants two times sandwiched by the Cardinals so the schedule does get easier and they have one more trip out west to see if they could get off the snide with their own two-game losing streak. A lot of intrigue in the NFL this week. And even though the matchups may not be great, sexy, this, that, but just about every one of these games, except for the game tonight, which is awful, have playoff implications. And if you're the NFL, that's what you want to see. You don't want to have a lot of dud games on the schedule. And even though you may have dud matchups, but they are impactful when it comes to this playoff race down the stretch. And you know come Monday, I'm going to be all over it. And one last thing that I failed to mention on Monday, and this is just a terrible job by me, but Frank Wycheck, former tight end of the Tennessee Titans who was involved in one of the great plays that you'll ever see in NFL history, that Music City Miracle, the wild card game between Buffalo and Tennessee there in the 99 season, but 2000, which propelled the Titans to the Super Bowl that year where they played the Rams, and we know how that ended. But Wycheck, who had a fall in his home and hit his head in Chattanooga, where he lives, was unresponsive and died. 52 years of age, a very good player. I believe he's the Titans' all-time leader in receptions and touchdowns for a tight end. A guy who was a mainstay in that offense to go along with Eddie George and Kevin Dyson. Steve McNair was your quarterback, especially during that Super Bowl run that year. And just a workmanlike, lunch pail, hard hat type of player. 
And just sad to hear, 52 years of age, for him to have to suffer a fall, hit his head, and ah. Uh. And I believe even his family has said that they want to donate his brain to, I guess, whatever the lab or the people that are involved when it comes to CTE and wanting to get an idea as to whether or not he did have that. Obviously, well past his playing days, but prayers go out to him, his family, the Titan family, the NFL, just a terrible story there. Frank Wycheck, a very good player, passing away tragically at the age of 52. All right, now let me put on my high tops and let's go through the association as we have a couple of developments that I have to unpack and get into, which are quite fascinating to say the least. And I'm going to start with what happened last night before I get to what happened the night before. Last night you had a situation in Milwaukee where Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Bucks, scored 64 points. And I believe it was the most points ever scored by a player in NBA history without making a three-point shot. And we know Giannis, not the best of shooters. And yes, he does take threes and some outside jumpers every now and again. But we know Giannis, his game is all about power, attacking the basket. He is a thoroughbred when he's in the lane. I don't have to break down the type of player he is offensively, as we all know. But because he had this 64-point, 14-rebound affair against the Indiana Pacers, and at the end of the game, he was trying to get the game ball to have to put on his mantle and for him to cherish for the rest of his life, which, again, is his right. No problem. And I got nothing against Giannis. I love him as a player. Great guy, I feel, in my eyes. But what ensued after that to where the Pacers got involved And they took the ball away and they actually gave him another ball where Giannis said, this is not the game ball. Next thing you know, they're in the bowels of Pfizer Forum where the Bucks play. And here he is trying to jostle and get the ball. And you would think that this was the ball that won the NBA championship. And I get it. He wants to keep it as a momentum. All right, no problem. But one more time. If anything, I'm curious to know when the Bucks won the title in 2021, their first title in 50 years, where that ball is. Because to me, that's a ball where you would want to really keep and treasure for the rest of your life to know that this is the only ball that was played game six in their building to win a championship. And therefore, it was a scenario where you would think that that would have been more of an uproar and nobody even knows where that ball is. Or even whether he has it, the team has it, etc. But he wants to get this ball. And the next thing you know, he's in the postgame saying that, nope, the ball I got was not the game ball. I know what the game ball feels like, etc. And I'm sure, hey, no pun intended, he has a handle of what a game ball feels like. I'm sure it's a little sticky and sweaty and what have you, as opposed to a new ball, which may be a little bit more slick and obviously not used as much. But Giannis, listen, I get it that he wants to have that for the rest of his life, but... I think it's a bit of an overreaction, if you ask me. Because what happens if he goes out and he scores 70 at some point this year? Or 65 points? He eclipses that by one point. What is he going to do with that other ball? He's just going to have it there sitting, collecting dust on his mantle or in his trophy case? That's why I look at that as like, it's. I'm not going to say much to do about nothing, but I think Giannis just overreacted. It's not as if this was his last year. And maybe this was his only attempt to get to 60 points, or in this case, 64, to where he would actually think that, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to score 64 ever again in my career, so therefore, I want to get this ball. So, he needed to pipe down, and that was just a moment where, I'm not going to say he wishes he has back, but maybe somewhere down the road when he thinks about it, and at some point, maybe he scores 
64 in an NBA final game to, for them to win a championship, he may look at it and say, yeah, you know what? My bad for acting that way or reacting that way to the point where it was just a regular season game that's meaningless in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, maybe I shouldn't have responded in that fashion. And speaking of responding in certain fashions, let's get to the night before because you had a scenario where Draymond Green was at it again and this time there is some serious consequences to pay if you're number 23 of the Golden State Warriors. Suspended indefinitely for his actions on the court against Yusef Nurkic and all I got to say about this scenario, if that was LeBron James... If that was Giannis, if that was Luka, if that was Nikola Jokic, would he have swung his arm around in that fashion? People, you know what the answer is to that. And that's similar to what happened with Rudy Gobert weeks ago where he put him in a headlock in the opening minutes of the game where you had Clay Thompson going at it with, and I forgot who the player is off the top of my head, it wasn't even Anthony Edwards, it wasn't Carl Anthony Towns, it's eluding me right at this very moment. But you had a little... Frank is there to where Draymond stepped in and he put Gobert in a headlock. And for what reason is well beyond me. But what you saw there the other night, right there by the baseline, and it was actually close to the bench, come to think of it, for him to go ahead and swing his arm. And I get it. He, in the post game or in the aftermath of that, and that was a game in Phoenix, for those who are wondering, because Yusef Nurkic was part of that trade there with DeAndre Ayton and Damian Lillard. But for Green to react that way and swing his arm, and even though he came across and said that, whether it was by the coach or even the front office, to apologize and to face the music in that regard, and all he said that he is not one to apologize for things as such, but he did apologize to Nurkic, saying that he didn't intend to hit him, And he tries to sell calls with his arms in that regard. But that one was, to me, very egregious to where he swung his arm around and hit him. And like I said, if that's Nikola Jokic guarding him, if that's Joel Embiid coming out to, let's say, even defend him or the other way around where he's trying to sell a call, seriously, he's going to swing his arm and try to hit those guys? And Nurkic, well, I get it. He's not a guy that's going to retaliate or respond Maybe deep in his heart, he probably thinks he's soft so he can get away with it. And you saw Nurkic just hit the court and was laid out for the most part. But for Green to get suspended, the NBA said enough. And that's great. Who knows how long he's going to be out. And I said this back in the summertime when they traded Jordan Poole to the Wizards and they kept Draymond Green. And you knew once Poole was gone that Green was going to sign or re-sign with the Warriors. I thought it was a mistake then, and I'm sure, as of right this moment, privately, they're not going to say that publicly, or they're not going to come across their player as one that they don't want anymore, but you know deep down in the heart and the soul of the front office organization, and probably even the head coach, that they're tired of this act, and I bet they would rethink to say that maybe we should have kept Jordan Poole and let Draymond Green go. Because enough of the antics. We've seen this a million times, and... When does it stop? And the NBA said, well, it's going to stop now because he may be sitting out for 10 games, 15 games, 20 games. Who knows? I couldn't put a number on it. It's way too early to tell. You would think he's probably going to sit at least five, 
you would probably think he's going to sit at least five games, maybe ten games at the minimum. And then they'll review and I'm sure he'll be back in uniform and we're going to see how he'll behave from that point on. But just disgraceful to say the least that Green, with all these flagrant fouls, with all these flagrant fouls and his behavior on the court, it's just tiresome. I've said it weeks ago, I've said it before that, and I'll say it one last time now. And what's up with the Spurs? If you're Greg Popovich, the coach of San Antonio, and you have this generational player, and not to say you got to put all the pressure on this kid for him to deliver and for him to be the savior of this franchise, considering that Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, and Tony Parker have long exited that building... But you have to wonder, Popovich, we understand that there's a process. We understand that there's going to be a lot of growing pains with your young star and with your team on a whole. But right now, they are 3-20. They started off their year 3-2 and and haven't won since. And if we take a look at the schedule, and we all know that any given night, even if San Antonio, let's say they will go to Boston and play the Celtics, and you would think that, well, they have no shot of winning that game. And next thing you know, San Antonio comes out and wins. And that would be typical Celtics because they have not beaten the Spurs over the years, even going back to the early portion of the Tim Duncan days. And even toward the end, they got a few wins under their belt, but they certainly have not dominated the Spurs over the years, especially when Greg Popovich has been the coach. But they do have the Lakers tonight. I believe it's a home-and-home. Home. No, yeah, it's one of those back-to-back home scenarios where they played last night. They lost 122-119. And they're going to play tomorrow night down in San Antonio. But is there a win on the schedule here at some point in the future? The Spurs then host the Pelicans, quite possibly. They go to Milwaukee, Chicago, Dallas. Then home Utah, Portland back-to-back. Maybe Portland, but by then they're going to lose like 20-something in a row. I'll say maybe New Orleans. And I don't know who New Orleans, if they have a game on Friday... It's a Saturday afternoon game. Maybe they have a Saturday afternoon game somewhere and then they have to fly. I'm going to say they snap it Sunday against New Orleans, but we'll come back on Monday to see whether or not they're going to reach 20 because by the time we reconnect on Monday with the two games that they face between now and then, we could be staring at an NBA team losing 20 consecutive games, which is hard to wrap your head around. And as far as the association on a whole, I'll get into a little bit more with the league starting up for the most part there on Monday because of the in-season tournament. And the Lakers said they're going to raise a banner to the Rafters, which I said last week, and I'll say one last time, is an absolute disgrace for a team with 17 banners already in their Rafters. They're going to put an NBA Cup. I don't care if it was the first ever one and they can win five more and they don't put another banner for that. But to me, uh uh-uh. You want to put it maybe in the entrance of the arena as you're walking in just for this year? As the NBA Cup champions, all right, fine. Or somewhere outside the Staples Center or Crypto.com Arena, whatever, great. Not to the rafters with the other banners there that are a ton more meaningful than this NBA Cup. So Monday, I'll get into it a little bit more when it comes to the association, but those are the big news stories out of the last couple of days. And then in the NHL, as I lace up my skates, you have another coach fired and a one Craig Berube. And that one hits a little bit close to home because Berube, a longtime tough guy in the league, dating back to the late 80s with the Flyers and then bounced around Calgary, Washington, Toronto, etc. And 
in the midst of him getting the job in St. Louis when they were last in the Western Conference there in the 2018-2019 season, what did he do? Turn the franchise around to the point where they won a Game 7 in Boston for a Stanley Cup championship, which I know Barubi, whenever he's in St. Louis, dinner's going to be on the patrons or maybe the establishment there. So he's never going to worry about buying a beer or getting dinner when he's back in St. Louis, but he gets canned the other day after they lost to the Red Wings and they have been hitting the skids. And Barubi, who, again, will be remembered there, bringing the Blues their first ever Stanley Cup championship and having that chance for the organization to celebrate that. Obviously, they won't forget him in that regard, but knowing that it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business and since then, the Blues have not done much. Yes, they made it to a conference semifinal a couple of years ago, But besides that, they have not done much other than winning that Stanley Cup, which is now going to be five years next spring. So with Barubi gone, and then you have a scenario where the owner of the Washington Capitals, as well as the Washington Wizards, I might add, Ted Leonsis, he is thinking about moving his team to Northern Virginia to the point where I believe yesterday they were talking about a development deal in Alexandria, Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C., to move the team there. And mind you, the building that they're in now, which they've named it a zillion times, I believe it's the Verizon Center, who knows what it is, but right there in downtown D.C., a building that I guess you could say is antiquated because it's 26 years old with all the technology and all of the -the state-of-the-art arenas that you've seen here over the last half dozen to dozen years. And that building is pretty much a relic when you think about it, but for Leonsis to move this team and nothing's official, nothing's in stone, but the area that occupies Alexandria, I'm sure for a long time, there've actually been times where they wanted to bring the, at the time, Redskins over from RFK to where they moved to Landover over to that area to where they wanted to have the football team in Northern Virginia, but that has been nixed and who knows what's going to happen with the new ownership, whether they're going to build on the site of the current FedEx field or they're going to move the team back into the D.C. metropolis area, but that's for the NFL, but for Leonsis, who is looking to make some big moves and out of D.C., which to me, it's like the Jets and Giants moving from New York over to New Jersey. Why would they still be called Washington if they're going to play in Northern Virginia, even if they're five feet from the borderline between D.C. and Virginia? So that's one I wanted to bring up and one that obviously is for down the road. But let's see if the Capitals and Wizards, and it's probably not going to happen once they erect a building for both teams. It's probably not going to happen toward the end of the decade, but who knows? With the way these teams relocate and they're going to put a ton of money into it, I'm sure the... State of Virginia, the town, local, municipalities, etc. Before you know it, the Washington Capitals and the Wizards will be in Virginia. And what could you say? So something just to keep an eye on down the road as I bring it up at this very moment. As for the NHL on a whole, one team that I almost failed to mention there on Monday, now at the forefront when it comes to the latest and greatest of what's happening on the ice are the Edmonton Oilers and maybe Jay Woodcroft, a former coach who they jettisoned there after a 2-8-1 and one start and they bring in from their AHL affiliate 
in one Chris Knobloch. And mind you, same for the St. Louis Blues with Barubi gone, and I failed to mention that, so my apologies there. After Barubi leaves, they bring up their own AHL affiliate from the minor leagues as the head coach in a one Drew Bannister. So the same, excuse me, happened in Edmonton a few weeks ago when Woodcroft was gone and Knobloch was brought in. Now the Oilers are over 500, 13-12-1 as they try to get themselves back close to the top or near the top or maybe even at the top of the Pacific Division out west. So Edmonton, we know who the players are and we know the caliber of player and they're going to be relevant here, you would think, now that they've gotten themselves back on the beam and they're above 500 and not to say it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out, but you would think this is the real Edmonton team that we're going to see from here on out as opposed to what we saw there in the first three weeks of the season. So that's a team you got to look out for. And they beat the Blackhawks there a couple nights ago where you had Connor Bedard who scored a goal in the game as 11th goal. You had both Connors going up against one another. The current face of the NHL, if you ask me in my opinion, Connor McDavid against the potential future face of the NHL and one Connor Bedard of the Blackhawks. But besides that, I know the Coyotes have hit the skids here a little bit. Remember we talked about them, I believe a week ago, to where they had gone through a winning streak of about four or five games. And now they've lost four in a row. And the only reason why I bring up the Coyotes because of where they play on a college campus, 4,600 people. They're not in a big arena. They don't have a huge following. And just to know that the Coyotes, who have actually played pretty well this year, considering that they've been hockey Siberia over the last couple of years. But I just thought to bring them up, knowing that they have have hit a little speed bump here. But other than that, everything is pretty much status quo in the NHL. And now to wrap up with baseball as I put on my cleats to get in the batter's box. Obviously, all the talk this week has been Shohei Otani. And to think, the news broke on Otani's contract Saturday. And here it is Thursday. And we're still talking about it. And not necessarily the magnitude of the contract, the 10 years, $700 million. But as we found out there on Monday, where the contract, $680 million of it, was going to be deferred. To where Otani was going to get just get paid $2 million a year throughout the course of the contract. And then in 2034, they'll start to hit the payments of whatever it may be. And a lot of people thought at the time that, wait a second. You mean to tell me that Shohei Otani is going to get paid $2 million a year. Therefore, the Dodgers could bring on more salary, more contracts to where, yes, they're going to go past the luxury tax. But not to the extent to where it could be Steve Cohen-esque. To where they're going to obliterate the luxury tax, a la last year with the Met payroll, where it was about three hundred and forty-five million, where the luxury tax is at what two hundred and thirty-some odd million off the top of my head. So, a lot of people are in outrage, and even yours truly, as I posted on my YouTube channel, where the Dodgers are going to get away with this, to where they could probably sign Yamamoto, maybe a couple of other pitchers in the process. But as we found out afterwards that yes, $680 million of it is going to be deferred, but $46 million is going to be attributed to the luxury tax based on how they broke down this contract. And it's a little bit convoluted, but it's not as if $2 million of it is going to just go into his bank account and that's it. There is a way that baseball knows that they can't manipulate the competitive balance tax that way that they know they're going to have to put into it. 
So therefore, I believe $46 million this year is going to go into that. So even though it looks like they're getting him on the cheap and they're going to pay him on the back end, and I get it that the Bobby Bonilla Day people, July 1st, that get on the Met fan like myself, well, you can't laugh at Bonilla anymore when Otani's going to get paid a king's ransom from 2034 until the end of time. I don't think it's that long, but you get where I'm coming from, people. But for Otani... Now that it's official, not only with the contract, now we got to wait for the press conference to see what that's going to mean. And not only that, you would think that that's all is said and done when it comes to the contract. No, 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 no. There's also an opt-out. It's a very odd one, but still, if either the owner, Mark Walter, he's one of the owners of the team, or Andrew Friedman, the VP of Baseball Ops, if they happen to back out or are not going to have any involvement with the team, that Otani can opt out of his deal. Now that's interesting because that means that Friedman is going to be there, you would think, for the long haul. And Mark Walter, unless he's going to fork over part of his ownership to some other group or another individual, you would think that Otani is going to be in the mix here from this upcoming season until the end of 2033. But... That's one you got to keep an eye on because the Dodgers, we all know, they've made the playoffs all these years, win divisions, etc. But who knows? Does Friedman get tired? Is it time for him to move on? Is it going to be a Brian Cashman deal where he's going to stay here for a quarter of a century? You would think that may be the case because of Otani, but who knows? So that I thought was a weird one, very strange. I don't think Friedman's going to go anywhere considering what he's built in LA. Granted, he does have the pandemic championship and other than that that's what he has to show for it 60 games and in a bubble but Otani they got their man and let's see if they're going to go out and Yamamoto's the next guy up to see what's going to happen with him as far as being the next domino to fall because Blake Snell and guys like that I haven't heard boo about whether or not these guys are going to be signed on a dotted line before Christmas So we shall see what's going to happen there. And the Giants were also in the bidding for Otani, which was no surprise to the point where it's been reported that they offered a deal nearly identical to LA. Now, was that $650 million? Was it $675 million? Was it anything close to $700 million? Obviously, they didn't get Otani. What they did get, I guess as a consolation, was Jung Lee from Korea, six years, $113 million. I don't know much about the guy. I can't even tell you how impactful he'll be in a giant lineup, but the Giants who have tried their damnness to get players there, whether your name is Aaron Judge, whether your name is Carlos Correa, whether your name is Shohei Otani, and I guess they had to, I don't want to knock the kid because I've never seen him play or whatever, but they had to go to the bargain basement there and straight from the bottom of the bin to get a guy like Zhang Li. They have to do something. They have to do whatever it takes to try to attract a fan base that even after a couple of years ago winning 107 games and then they fired their manager and they've tried to bring in top players to their organization, how they failed miserably over that time. And just to get in good graces with their fan base to know that we're trying here and we're seeing what the landscape is when it comes to free agents, but for whatever reason, they're not coming here. And... They signed the outfielder from Korea and we're going to have to wait and see on whether or not he's going to be a guy that is going to either draw fans or draw flies. 
And that's all I got there. Never seen the guy play. Played in the KBO, that Korean baseball organization. And I don't even know how old he is or what type of player he was. As I'm looking here now, owns a lifetime batting average of 340. Batted 360 in 2021. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see come next March when the baseball season begins. And we'll see what's going to happen here with this hot stove because other than the Otani deal here over the last almost week, you've got nothing. The stove has been ice cold, if you ask me. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books, as always. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for carving out a few precious minutes out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Come on, people. Let's increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. I would truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, follow me on my YouTube channel, at JReels, with a question, comment, suggestion, etc., or on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels One, just a number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA since day one, as I've said time after time after time, and I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. Sports in the blood, in the DNA. How many more times do I have to say? Bringing nothing but passion, fire, fury, energy with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, analysis, praise, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.